this is Joyce, and welcome to Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer, a podcast from the Max Mallory Foundation. I'm Joyce Lofstrom, your host, a young adult cancer survivor, and Max Mallory's mom. In this upcoming episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about what we're doing. I'm talking with a mother who lost her son to testicular cancer, and she talks about her son's journey uh, as outlined in a book that she wrote. And I wanted to just tell listeners to take a moment to really listen to what she says and what we talk about, because there's a recurring theme that I think is part of anyone's journey in testicular cancer, and that's being comfortable talking about your health, especially young men and adolescents. And just to set the stage for this discussion early, here we are in 2021. Here's some statistics for testicular cancer from the American Cancer Society. So in this current year, 2021, there's about 9,470 new cases of testicular cancer that will be diagnosed. Out of that number, about 440 men will die from this disease. It's not a common cancer. One out of every 250 males will develop testicular cancer sometime in their lifetime. The average age is 33, although both Karen, my guest, and I, our sons, were much younger, uh, 19 and 22, respectively. About 6% of testicular cancers occur in children and teens, and 8% uh, appears in men over the age of 55. The other statistic that I find interesting that, again, relates to what we will be talking about is that the risk of dying is very low, according to the American Cancer Society, one in 5,000. So what does this all mean as we start our podcast? Just think about the theme I mentioned of men being comfortable talking about their health, talking about something unusual in their health, something unusual in their testicles. So I will stop right now and we'll get into our discussion. Hi, this is Joyce, and thank you for joining me today on Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer, our podcast. With me today is Karen McWhort. Karen uh, is an author and a testicular cancer awareness advocate. Uh, She's also a mom who lost her son to testicular cancer. So Karen's with me today as two moms who have similar experiences losing their sons to this disease. We're just going to talk about our experiences and other topics as they come along. So Karen, I'm so glad you could join me today. Joyce, thank you. And thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm so happy to be here with you today and talk about testicular cancer and Ian's story and Max's story and together we will win. Uh, the title of the book is Ian's Cancer Fighting Motto. So um, together, as we're doing this, and with all the other guests that you have, together we will win eventually, I hope. I agree. I was going to say, why don't you go ahead and start with uh, where you'd like to begin with Ian's story. Okay, sure. I First, I kind of would like to say together we'll, we will win is available on all major book line, all major online booksellers. If anybody wants to read it, and all um, royalties, although they may not be much, are used for cancer charity. So, you know, there's a lot to be learned from Ian's book. So I'd like to just kind of put that little up. 
item out there. I agree. I read the book. It's oh. outstanding. And so I would second what you just said in terms of reading it and learning what Ian went through and what many young men go through in this battle. So, mm-hmm. Thank you. Ian's story begins in 2004. And like many cancer patients, they ignore symptoms for a while. They wait, they deny, they procrastinate. And then Ian was no different. He did the same thing. You know, for testicular cancer, a guy often finds a problem, a lump or swelling, and they don't want to tell anyone that there might be something wrong in that area, even if they might feel themselves that there might be something wrong. And sometimes they don't even want to admit it to themselves. And so, I mean, this was Ian's case, I believe. And and I think you had a, um, one of your guests touched on that. You know, he's uh, one point that he made, um, maybe not on the interview, but one of his videos, Justin Burke, Burke Bichler, yes, yes. I, I don't know how to say his last name. He said, that, you know, that guys are, we teach our young men to not pay attention to their health. So I think that would be a good point for us to discuss a little bit later that, you know, they're, we're kind of programming our young men to just don't, don't worry about it. Don't, don't pay attention to your health because you have to be tough. That's correct. You know, so, yeah. So anyway, Ian is living the life of a 19-year-old. You know, he's a junior in college. He had a full-time job as a musician, as you know, a songwriter, guitarist, vocalist. And he's playing in his own band and also with another band. And they're playing in local venues around Kansas City every weekend. And, you know, he's just living life. He's having the time of his life, really, getting his dreams off the ground. And, And even though he did live at home with us, you know, we rarely saw him because he was always on the go. And, you know, he appeared to be a completely healthy young man. You would never know by looking at him that a cancer was silently creeping around inside his body. Um, but you know, he did have symptoms that none of us recognized at the time. And because he was 19 and, and able to take care of himself, he was self-medicating for the symptoms that he had. Okay. And, you know, stomach aches, coughing, aches and pains, nothing alarming, really. He would just take over the counter medications on his own. And he had allergies. I have allergies. So it's not unusual to think, you know, for a persistent cough, you don't think that much of it because we have allergies. So I don't know, even though these were symptoms of testicular cancer spreading, no one knew it because we didn't know how much he was suffering. And he didn't tell us. He just took care of it. But uh, he did eventually develop a severe cough, and and he saw his doctor for that. And uh, the doctor suspected some kind of gastrological problem because Ian coughed a lot every time he ate food. That I, that didn't lead us to any answers really for a while because Ian never told anybody about the lump that he had in his testicle. And he also had a lump in a left breast, which he also told no one about, and not even me. And he did go to the doctor for that on his own, but he refused to tell me why he went to the doctor. Um, This was probably about six months before his diagnosis. He, you know, he said he was embarrassed about it. He didn't want anyone to know. He didn't want me to know. Um, And he insisted when I asked him about it that the doctor told him it was nothing to worry about and that it was normal. And, you know, Ian was he was adamant. He did not want to talk with me about it. So he paid the doctor bill and I never saw the bill. I never saw anything about it. And, you know, 
I kind of thought if he was embarrassed to tell me about it, it maybe was an STD or, you know, something about his private anatomy that he just maybe was embarrassed about. Right, something, right. Something sexual. And I just thought, well, I, you know, he's trying to be a grown up and take care of it on his own. So I tried to um, respect his privacy. And, but later, later after Ian's diagnosis, we learned that this was a swollen lymph node caused by the spreading cancer. Really? Okay. So and, I hadn't been yeah. aware of that in terms of a symptom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well, I don't know if it, it's very common or not, but that's what Ian's oncologist had told him, you know, once they, he was in KU and his oncologist was really angry when, when Ian told him that the other doctor had just written off Ian's concern of that lump. It was pretty upsetting, but you know, that was just another, another step. So, you know, but so here we have a 19 year old boy. He has a severe cough, a breast lump, and he's been to two different doctors and no one has asked him if he has a lump in his testicle. No one has asked him if he's had any nausea or pain in his lower back or, you know, other cancer related problems. And he hasn't said anything about the breast, I'm sorry, the uh, testicle lump. And nobody's thinking about cancer. The cough was concerning. So while we're still looking for answers on the cough, Ian and I happened to be in a minor car accident, just a, a fender bender. Uh, we, he got rear-ended while we were sitting in traffic. You know, after this car accident, Ian started complaining about his back hurting a lot. And we went to get x-rays and it, it didn't show any, you know, no damage. And um, I think he was given Motrin for the pain. And, you know, I mean, over the next week or two, the pain persisted, but he was still going to work and he was still attending school and still trying to keep up his nightlife on the weekends. And so it, in appearances, you know, you just didn't know he was suffering and he didn't tell anybody. Right, so. right. And then one day he was so sick that he couldn't even stay at work. And now he had never missed a day of work. So that was alarming. And when he left work that night, his boss called me before Ian got home. And she told me that he had been looking sick for several days and she'd been trying to get him to go to the doctor and she had sent him home that night. And um, her name was Gina. She was great. Um, her and Ian had a great relationship and, and, you know, she cared about him and she'd been trying to get him to go to the doctor, you know, and I don't know. That's, that's the sad thing about being a mom is eventually your kids grow up and go away and you don't get to see them anymore, and the rest of the world gets to spend more time with them than you do. So, you know, she was seeing him every day for eight hours a day, and I was lucky if I got to see him come home and change clothes to go out again. Right, right. I know how that <laughs> is, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer, but, well, you know, you got to let your kids grow. So, but the next day, I mean, he had, we'd spent that night, you know, together at home, and he never, he didn't go out any, anywhere. And the next day, his stomach started hurting so bad that he couldn't stand up or lie still. Oh, my. Wow. so bad that he asked to drive to the doctor because he didn't even think he could drive a car. You know, that's that was the same doctor that was looking for the gastrological issues. And he still couldn't find any reason for Ian's pain, so he prescribed a CAT for that afternoon. And as you know from reading the book, that's where Ian's testicular journey, testicular cancer journey begins. You know, e even though it actually started with the lump in his testicle probably about 2003. 
Oh my, that long. So, so a so year. All of this trans- transpired for about a year and a half before being diagnosed because he didn't say anything, you know. And the thought of cancer hadn't even entered my head. I mean, I wasn't, I was thinking the doctor was going to tell me he had a bad ulcer or some kind of a, you know, digestive blockage. And so um, I had called Ian's doctor the next morning, first thing in the morning. Um, Oh, gosh. And I, you know, I guess we can all remember the day you learn about cancer. And I don't know. I think learning about your children's cancer is probably worse than hearing about your own. I, I don't know. I've never had it. I can still hear Ian, his doctor's voice today in my mind. I can still hear. Um, I, I just stood frozen in shock, holding my phone to my ear, listening to him telling me this horrifying news. You know, and he was, he didn't sugarcoat it. He did, wasn't fluffy or kind, I mean, polite or anything. He just said, Karen, your son has cancer. And he has a large tumor in his stomach and he has eight tumors in his liver and he has 20 or more tumors in his lungs and probably there's a tumor in his testicle. And I think he most likely has uh, spread to his brain as well. And I literally stopped breathing as he was talking. I, I just stood there frozen and I couldn't take any air and I, I couldn't speak. And then I started gasping and sobbing and I just crumbled to the floor suddenly I just I tried to catch myself on a chair but my legs buckled under me and I I just fell yeah I did manage to catch myself with one hand but I kept the phone to my ear because I wasn't going to let go of this doctor but um I was I mean I tried to crawl across the floor on my knees with one hand and and I pleading with him on the phone and and I was trying to stand up and my, my legs wouldn't work as if I was like a marionette puppet. I tried to stand right. back up, but I, I couldn't stand. All I can remember saying is, no, no, no. Every time he would say something, I would say, no, no, not Ian. No, it can't be true. There has to be a mistake. No. And, of course, I was crying uncontrollably at that point and uh, barely able to function, but they're on my knees. And uh, But Ian didn't hear any of that, fortunately. I think that would have been traumatic for him to hear that. Um, so actually I was at a friend's house about five or 10 minutes away. Maybe I had gone over there early in the morning and um, called from her house and uh, her name was Angela. I called her my angel. She helped to stabilize me, you know, to get me breathing again. And she gave me some water and talked to me. And I, I don't think that part of the book, my editor said it wouldn't work, but yeah, she was there for me and, Helped me to figure out how I'm going to tell my son this news. Right, right. You know, I I wasn't able to tell him. I went home and I, I looked in his blue eyes. You know, I woke him up and he. I, I tried so hard to say, the doctor thinks you have cancer, and I it just wouldn't come out of my mouth. I just I wanted to you know trying not to cry and. I just I couldn't tell him, so I just told him we have to go <laughs> to the hospital. And uh, anyway, to skip through that whole part of the story, um, initially, eventually, Ian was admitted to the cancer unit at University of Kansas Hospital and officially diagnosed. And he had already had the orchiectomy to remove the right testicle and the tissue was sent for biopsy and the staging was done within a couple days. And eventually we learned that he had... Uh, non-somatomonas germ cell tumor um, 
what is the NSGCT? Yeah, I always have to remember the name. I yeah. can't remember the Not words. Simonella, yeah. I can't remember the acronym. Yeah. <laughs> they write acronyms so we remember the words, but I'm kind of backwards that way. I have to remember the words or I can't remember the acronym. Right, that's okay. Yeah, whatever works, right? So, so. <laughs> yeah, right. So he had this NSGCT and stage 3B, which is not good news. It was 95% embryonal and carcinoma and then 5% choriocarcinoma. You know, those are heavy hitters. Those are fast growing aggressive cancers. And I don't know, this might be my weird sense of humor. I'm kind of off. I don't know. Well, we are talking balls anyway. So it just interests me that you know, guys are so proud of that part of their anatomy. Yes. You know, you have to have big balls. You have to have, you know, that's your masculinity. And the cancer that is part of that part of the body is the biggest badass cancer of all cancers. That's It's a killer. It's a killer. Yes. I don't know. That's That's a correlation I find a little, I don't know. Humorous, I guess. Yes, I mean, yes. You know, as we've seen by other, you know, references about testicular cancers and check your balls, guys, and those kinds of. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, oh so, yeah, your balls can kill you. That's how bad they are. <laughs> so anyway, after a few days uh, later, the MRI and MRI showed that there were indeed two small lesions in Ian's brain um, at the occipital lobe. That was when. You know, when he was diagnosed, when we learned that testicular cancer is the most common cancer in guys his age and and that it's curable. So we were relieved to know that it wasn't necessarily a death sentence, but we were also just out of our minds that it's the most common cancer in young men and nobody's talking about it. Correct. I mean, yep. yeah. How many doctors did we see in the course over 19 years with Ian for flus and colds and you know, tonsils and who knows what, and nobody, not one doctor said, you should probably check your testicles once a month. Here's some, here's some information. Here's a pamphlet at the very least, but nobody, nobody really kind of knows about it. So that's when we started our talking about it to everybody we knew. And I, I, can, re- I can remember standing um, in Ian's ho- um, hospital room, looking out the window on the fourth floor of KU and I could see the city for miles and miles and I wanted to climb onto the top of the highest building and just yell out shout in all directions check your balls check your balls <laughs> it's 12 o'clock and all is not well yeah. check your balls but yeah we just I mean that's pretty much all we did at first was just talking about it eventually we well after Ian's fight was over that's when I started really getting busy with trying to, um, you know, create awareness and talk about it. I started on social media, which back then was MySpace. This is 2004. Yes, it wasn't everything <laughs> so, we have now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Facebook was just a baby. <laughs> CDs, music CDs were still a thing, which they're kind of gone, you know, defunct now, but... Um, he had this demo CD for the band so he could get gigs for the his band. And he had already had that um, recorded. He had had some, done some guest spots on a friend's radio program, um, 810, Studio 810 with Bob Dusselier, I think, and, and Matt O'Connor. And they had figured out a way to uh, get him in the 
studio to record all his music on their equipment. So he was able to have the CD and I'm so grateful that, that we have that. But I thought, well, what better way to get this information about testicular cancer into the hands of young people is put it on the music CD. They buy the music and then they get to see on the insert all the information about testicular cancer, about how to check and what to look for. And, and uh, so we did that for a while and tried to promote that on social media. And, and that's where I actually where I met Mike Craycraft, who was uh, one of your guests. Yes. On your podcast. And, and I met uh, Philly Morris and Darren Couchman online, of course, there in the UK, trying to create awareness for the disease. And um, a bunch of survivors, John and Noah, and um, all the guys that ended up endorsing the book, Together We Will Win, uh, were these guys. They were my first uh, people that I connected with, you know, when I started kind of reaching out on social media to try to create awareness. So they were all there for me. Then, yeah, we just kind of went from there and I wasn't sure I was ready to write the book. I didn't know I could relive that story, but eventually I got strong enough to do it. And um, then I did some public speaking and, you know, fundraising and health fairs and all that. And, oh, and there was a theater performance of Ian's book in Topeka, Kansas at Topeka High School. Um, I, I remembered that when you had the other guest of yours who wrote a musical yes. about, about his experience. Yeah. So, and that was... Um, that was, yeah, the Topeka High School um, actors and actresses, they were, that was a phenomenal show. They did Ian's story and and they did some cancer poetry in the midst of that. It was great. It was really good. So all of this was done in an effort to get people talking about testicular cancer because it can kill a guy in two years, you know? Yes, and I do. It just, yeah. It's so fast growing. You know, so checking once a year isn't really enough. A guy has to check every month. And I mean, I guess to bring it full circle, Ian had noticed a lump, uh, he said, in his high school year, just after the football season. So that would that would be a senior year. So that would be 2003, roughly maybe January 2003. So um, maybe... To January 2004, it was allowed to grow for a solid year because he never said anything to anyone. And then late spring 2004, he starts developing symptoms. By the summer of 2004, his symptoms are getting worse. And by the fall of 2004, symptoms are so bad they can no longer be ignored. Yeah. And then he was finally diagnosed. So, you know, and his... One of Ian's radiation, radiation oncologists had told me once, um, just, you know, in comparison, that testicular cancer, because it grows so fast, people aren't usually, they're not prepared for that aggressive cancer. Because colon cancer, for instance, can take up to five years to metastasize from the colon. Can, yeah, I mean, not necessarily always does, but it's slower growing right. lung cancer. Yep takes uh, can take five years before it metastasizes out of the lungs but testicular cancer as you know it's just like a wildfire and so you know we just tried to get people talking about it and and i i don't know why people don't want to talk about it are they are embarrassed 
or they're afraid of they're vulnerable and weak and you know well I I, would, I mentioned Justin earlier um, when he said that we're kind of programming our young men to not do that well I guess we are because we tell them you know butch up walk it off be tough oh it's not that bad you know it's not an injury it's just pain you know don't worry about it get out there and you know, be strong. Well, you know, so. I, I think that you make so many good points, Karen, and, and the whole thing about talking about your health, all of us, but especially young men, uh, it, it, in, if we don't know, like as parents, we didn't really know what to do, I guess is maybe a one way to say it. But, you know, mm-hmm. you took your son to the doctor I mean, on a regular basis. Max went on a regular basis and pediatricians, never said anything to Max about having an undescended testicle or what happened or where is it. And when you reflect back on it, it's like, why, as you're saying, and then now how, I mean, how simple it is just to tell them and teach them how to do a self-exam and it's Mm -hmm. like doing a breast self-exam or things with your own health. It's just so, so frustrating and it's so unneeded. So Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, at the very least, hand the guy a pamphlet. Yes, you're right. Tell, yeah. tell his mother or father to talk it over with him. You know, at the very least, you don't just say a, a great spiel. Just have to say a few words and plant a seed. And every time you see that that patient, well, I I, but, I noticed in your book because I folded down the page, which I know I have a friend who's a librarian, and you're never supposed to fold down a page. But I I, <laughs> I didn't have a bookmark by me, but. Well, he said, why, why didn't I know to do this? Why didn't, you know, why the hell hadn't any of my doctors told me about checking myself for testicular cancer through the years? Why didn't mm-hmm. I know something was wrong? I could have avoided all right. of what I was dealing with now. And right. to me, that's the crux of some of these issues is that young boys, adults, they all need to know to do this. And so... Um, Anyway, that's just a point I want to make, and you made it very mm-hmm. strongly too, uh, just about that situation. So, um, and I've talked to other yeah. young men who've it's the same thing. They didn't know about mm-hmm. it. They didn't know what to do. They'd never heard of a testicular self exam. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone knows a young man. Actually, everyone knows many young men, but at least one young man who can benefit from knowing this information. Everyone knows a young man. Uncles, aunts, nephews, brothers, cousins, spouses, you know, everybody can talk about testicular cancer to the young men in their life or even the older men. I mean, young daughters can talk to their fathers who are in their 30s or 40s about testicular cancer. If they learn about it, they can bring that message home to dad and brother or uncle and cousin. Yes, they can. They definitely can. Yeah, everybody can talk. But I kind of think, I don't know, I think, I wonder if maybe in the doctors, in that part, I mean, remember Nate, Nate um, Gautier? Yes, yes, in Southern Missouri. Um, Yeah, yeah, he said that his doctor told him it was the first case of testicular cancer that he'd ever had, that he'd ever seen. And you know what? Ian's doctor said the same thing. And he also said that, just going by the fact that it's, uh, I air quotes, rare cancer, um, it may be the only case that he sees his entire professional life as a physician. I hope he's right, but I bet he's not. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. We, 
we expect our medical professionals to know all things medical. Correct. But, you know, the fact is that they're just people and they, they go into specialized training in the field in which they expect to be working. So they're not all necessarily going to study cancer. But I don't know. I'm not giving doctors a break. Many doctors listening, I'm not giving you a break. Learn about testicular cancer and talk about it. But maybe that's why none of the doctors told Ian about testicular cancer is there's lack of awareness because that's internal medicine. He studied maybe cancer for a semester or maybe even just one course, but doesn't really know all about cancer because eh, he's just internal medicine and he's going to, I don't mean to, I don't mean to minimize just internal medicine, but I mean, he's internal medicine and he deals with everyday illnesses. I don't know. I'm theorizing. Right. I know. That's all we're we're doing. We're talking about it. So we're not trying to, uh, I guess, disparage people, but we are pointing out challenges Mm -hmm. or issues that are there. And I talked to a friend who's a pediatrician and I told her Max's story. And she said that according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, pediatricians are supposed to find when they do an exam, both testicles. I'm talking about Max Uh here because he had an undescended Uh testicle. But they're mm-hmm. looking at the testicles, and if they can't find it, which would have been the case in Max's situation, then mm-hmm. they have to figure mm-hmm. out why they can't find it or where exactly. it is and so forth. And similar to what happened with you and Ian, I mean, nobody in all the years, no pediatrician ever, ever questioned, well, where is it? What happened? And, you mm-hmm. know, you look back and as parents, I think, well, you know, we knew he had that undescended testicle. We also had surgery when he was like, you know, about a year old, and they told us he never had one. And so, mm-hmm. which was wrong. And he did have it, but it was, you know, up uh-huh. wherever it was. And so I think going back to what you're saying about building awareness, and you've done so much in the years that you were speaking and then your book and everything, is that I think that's kind of where we still are with this cancer It is to build awareness with the doctors mm-hmm. as well as the potential patients, the young men. Right. It's frustrating. I think it seems to be taking longer. I may be wrong, but it seems to be taking longer to create awareness about testicular cancer and even men's breast cancer than it did to, to create awareness about um, women's breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Because I, when I was younger, I didn't know about women's breast cancer. But then Susan Komen Foundation came up and boom, everybody's talking about it. It almost seemed like it happened overnight, which I know it didn't. But, you know, within a few years, everybody knew, remind your girlfriends to check, you know, remind your sisters. Everybody knew about it. But still, no one's talking about men's breast cancer, which is also pretty common. Yes, it is. And we talk about ovarian cancer, but... We don't talk about testicular cancer. Why can't we get people to talk about this? And maybe that goes back to, I don't know, we're just embarrassed. Why? Money. <laughs> Guys talk about their balls all the time. I, Guys joke about it. They tease about it. They they insult each other about it. They, I mean, think about all the, the ball jokes, you know. Oh, grow a pair. Grow some hair on your balls. Or, you know, boy, you've got some pretty big balls to be doing that. Well, yeah. And Geyser. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I interrupted you. Uh, Geyser just always, I wonder why they can't just, I don't know, they they will talk about them, but they won't 
bring cancer into that conversation. And that goes, I guess, back to the vulnerability and it's too embarrassing. I don't, I don't, there's a, I don't know, there's a cutoff point there. We can joke about it, but we don't want to say to another friend that you might have cancer in there, so you better check. See, I think with, Why? I don't know. with breast cancer, with the Susan Komen Foundation, I mean, they had a lot of money. And I think that right. has made a big difference in that they were able to, I mean, they grew. You're right. It didn't happen overnight. And, and But I think they had money to do national ad campaigns and things that testicular cancer hasn't done or been able to do. And there are, as we both know, there are wonderful organizations out there for men with testicular cancer and to raise awareness and talk about it. But we haven't had that big national push, so to speak, where it's, Mm -hmm. you know, and not that that would solve everything, but I think that that might be one difference, at least from my Mm -hmm. perspective as I see it. But um, Yeah. But do you think maybe even guys, back to Justin again, do guys maybe are hardwired? so to speak, to, to be tough, you know, they're the providers and the, the, they have to press on, even if they have back pain, they have to go out and, yes. you know, I don't know, plow the fields and feed the livestock. And I think of a caveman and his cave wife and the wife saying, that's okay, honey, you sit here with ice in your back. I'll go kill the beast for dinner. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> so, you know, guys are the strong ones. They're going to just, they're not going to be sick. Maybe it's a mindset that's kind of almost hardwired in there. Oh, I think that's probably true. I really do. And it's, it is the way that they think about, you know, you can't, not that being ill is a weakness, but you can't appear to be ill or have anything wrong with you or, you know, talk about it or whatever. I know one of the young men I talked to was like Ian. He had a, a lump that went on for a year and it got to the point where he couldn't walk and it had spread as well. And I mean, it's, I guess I've had enough um, illness in my life and cancer that I can't wait. If there's something that I think is wrong with me, I got to find out or it's going to drive me mm-hmm. crazy, but yeah, we're all different too. So it's not, it's just, uh, it, it's society. I think you make the right point here. And it's like the way men are hardwired or taught to be uh, in terms of talking about their health or their manliness or man or whatever. So, mm-hmm. and that's the whole point of Ian's story. The whole point of testicular, I mean, sorry, the whole point of Together We Will Win, you know, just telling the story is to get people talking about it, to change that in society and, you know, make sure doctors all know and make sure parents all know and coaches and and youth leaders. And yeah, I know Ian would have, if he had known about testicular cancer being the most common cancer in young men, he would have said something to somebody or at the very least have taken himself to the doctor. Because, you know, he'd already did that. I uh, did that three times. Um, but, yeah, I know. That. And I think talking about it has made a difference. It, more and more people are talking about it, just very slow. Yes. But, you know, I've received a lot of, of emails, like I told you the other day, of people who have, they, well, I did a lot of um, publicity just after writing the book. So I was on the news frequently. I was on the radio a lot. I was in the newspapers and all over social media. So it, I don't know. I had a lot of, of uh, highlighting on the book back in 2012 or 2010 to 2012. 
And so back then I was receiving emails from people. If I hadn't seen that news piece, we wouldn't know that my son had cancer. My, our son came to us the next day or the next week or the following month. And if it hadn't been for Ian's story, we might still not know. You know, we had, I don't know how many people contact us about that. So I know that the message is getting out there and it is helping. And yes. I mean, even, even nurses, I even had nurses contact me and say that, which I did not expect this in the book. I just, to frame me, it was all about the cancer and the treatment. But nurses would tell me that they didn't know, you know, things that you don't even really think about it. But what happens to the patient after the doctors and nurses leave the room? behind the closed door? What happens after they go home? How are they really feeling? Because, you know, they ask the standard questions every time you see them, but they don't really know what you were going through when you were at home for, for that 10 days in between chemotherapy treatments. They don't really know how you felt after they delivered that awful news that the brain tumors are growing. And then they leave the room and, you know, they have to be focused on the next patient. So they can't keep dwelling on how you might have felt with that information. So some of them told me that that was great information because they'd never really thought about it because they can't. Right, right. Because they have so many patients to care for. But so, I mean, that was good too. And, and uh, well, I mean, like you said, unfortunately for Max, knowing in advance, I don't know, would it have made a difference? I guess it might have because then you would know to have a surgery. Right. See, we also had a a genetic predisposition because Max's dad was born with one testicle and Mm -hmm. he found his when he was 21 and it was atrophied. It was still there and it was not cancer. Uh, It was removed and it was all okay. So uh, I do think that's also a factor with this. You know, I guess I'll go back to what you said about doctors and how we, they're human, but we don't expect them to be human. We expect them to know everything all the time about everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, it just, it, you know, hindsight's always more powerful. But, you know, right. you think about right. things that you might have mm-hmm. done differently. Yeah. But it's better to look forward and do what you've done and what we're trying to do now with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our, our hindsight might help others. Correct. You know, other people who are listening and don't know uh, that that persistent cough might mean something if there's a, a lump in a testicle at the same time, you know, or persistent back pain, but uh, there's also a lump in the testicle. Okay, you better get to a doctor right now, you know, or there's persistent pain in the, you know, lower regions that no doctor can explain. Um, I don't know, go to an oncologist, you know, maybe people listening will will learn from, from uh, yes, I think so. Uh, yeah. us, people like us talking about it. But I don't know. I don't know if everybody, I don't know if people understand that uh, cancer, because, you know, we hear that we all have cancer in our bodies. We all have it. But I kind of think that's misleading because, I don't know, cancer, I think that, I feel like people think of it as something else other than what belongs in your body. But it's not. It's just an abnormal cell. You have normal cells and you have abnormal cells. And that's all cancer is, is an abnormal cell with a DNA strand in it that's already damaged. So it's really a part of your body, and that's why sometimes it shows up as cancer and sometimes it doesn't. And that's how chemo- chemotherapy drugs work and radiation works, is they break the strands 
of that DNA uh, strand in the cells, which, you know, can cause all the cells to die, but your healthy cells usually can, can rebuild pretty quickly. But um, I don't know. I, I always thought that was kind of interesting because I always thought, well, you know, what's cancer? How do we, can we just cut it out? Can we just scrape it out? Can we just like go in and dig out and just pull everything out? But it's not that easy because the abnormal cells are linked to the normal cells and they're, you know, they're hogging all the energy. They're hogging all the, the nutrients out of the blood and, and they're killing off the normal cells. And um, I don't know that that study says that it um, could be a hormone imbalance in the mother's body, but then where does that come from? Right. Right. Why did that happen? Was it contraceptives that she was taking before the pregnancy or was it in the food that she's eating or water supply? You know, um, you know, we all know that that contraceptives can cause can cause birth defects, but most people who are taking contraceptives aren't planning on having a baby right away. So I don't know. Maybe mothers don't think about that. And I'm now. I, I'm not blaming mothers. Yes, I know. I, when yeah. I first, yeah, when I first heard this news, I was like, oh, great. Sigmund Freud was right. It's always the mother's fault. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. It's not. Um, how do we know what our hormone levels are? We don't know. You know how, how do you measure that? Do you get on the scale in the bathroom and say, oh, my hormones are heavy today? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> blame it on the hormones. But, you know, there's... There's an increase in younger boys, younger than 12, being diagnosed with testicular cancer now. And there's, I even heard of a baby that had been born with testicular cancer. Um, I don't think he was here in the States, but, you know, that kind of points to this maybe being a thing. That, that it starts in the germ cell in the mother's body before the baby's even born. Well, I think we're probably getting, you know, close to ending, but I want you to talk about your book again, just so the title and where to get it. And because um, it's really a very, very good, good book. So you want to tell us again, Karen, about your book? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, the name of the book is the title is Together We Will Win. What happens when we don't talk about testicular cancer? That was Ian's cancer motto. Together we will win because uh, you know, you need your team of doctors and your family and your friends and your your clergy or, you know, whoever supports you. Um, you need everybody to help you fight cancer. So that's where that title came from. And the book is available on Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble. Uh, but it is available on all other major booksellers online. And uh, royalties are only a dollar a book that I receive, but it's all used for um, cancer charity, mostly testicular cancer charity. So um, let's see, there's the paperback and the, um, the Kindle version, which is, I think, $3.60. So yeah, we have a website, um, iansstory.org. That's I-A-N-S-S-T-O-R-Y dot O-R-G. And also testicular cancer. I'm sorry, I keep saying that. Togetherwewillwin.net is uh, it bridges to the same website. So with the title of the book. Okay. So yeah, and in closing, keep your eye on the ball, and together we will win. That's right, we will. And 
this was really, I, I really enjoyed it, Karen. I hope we can do this again and you know, yeah, continue so we'll our talk conversation. about the mother's aspect. That's, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do yeah. that. So, yeah. Okay. Well, well thank you, Joyce, very much. It's been fun talking with you. And, Same here. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today on Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer from the Max Mallory Foundation. We have a website, and it's at maxmalloryfoundation.com, where you can learn more about testicular cancer, donate, and also send your ideas for guests on the podcast. And for spelling, Mallory is M-A-L-L-O-R-Y. Please join me next time for Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer.